And membership is one of them. In fact, membership may be one of the most misunderstood pillars of the church. Get membership right, and the church becomes a fantastic display of God's glory. Get it wrong, and at best, it merely reflects the ways of the world. Perhaps those of you this, this past week who are in small groups noticed that there are not real clear biblical directions for church membership. It's far clearer than, say, eldership, where you just go to 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1. You have clear biblical directions about the church leadership. Membership, on the other hand, is a little more nuanced. We know there was church membership in the early church. They took votes. You can't vote unless you have some body of members. I suspect that one of the reasons that membership was not talked about a great deal in the New Testament is because it was so obvious. There's lots of pragmatic reasons to have membership. Let me, let me knock out just a couple. One is it lets, it lets the leaders of the church care for the right people. It, it allows leaders, those in leadership of the church, to know who to discipline and who not to. So if you're out clubbing at night and hooking up with folks and you're not a member... We would tell you not to do that. We think it's going to hurt your life. But it's not kind of our business. Those in the church, in membership, we want to talk to you more seriously. We want to talk about what that means. Secondly, membership protects you and other members. For instance, we we only want members taking care of our kids. Membership's important. But most importantly, membership is a way to take the scriptural commands for fellowship and give them traction, make them real. Membership is the structure that allows us to practice true, authentic community. You know, commands for fellowship in the scriptures, commands for community in the Bible are not just kind of airy ideas. You know, for just kind of maxims that float into place. No, for instance, Paul begs two women in the church of Philippi to get along. There's a real fight between these two women. They're named. There's a real issue. It's in a real place. He's not just just telling hypothetical women somewhere who might not be getting along to someday, you know, sort of love each other. It requires nitty-gritty love in the trenches of real life. Now, what we are not saying about membership when we talk about Redeemer's membership is that it's the only way to do it. There's there's other ways to do membership. But at at Redeemer, we, we think we have a biblical model that allows for biblical church. Many churches in the world today are casting off membership altogether. There's actually a church here in Dubai that counts as members as simply those on its mailing list. In fact, one of our elders was actually on that list. And he found out he was a member there as well as an elder here. I'm not going to name any names. But we did talk to Brian Parks about being a member at two churches. I'm, I'm kidding. 
Brian was as surprised as anyone to discover he was a member of two churches. And hey, a mailing list is better than some places. Other churches in the world today seem to be discarding membership completely. Why? Well, there's been abuses of authority, perhaps. Others want to cast off authority regardless of whether or not it's tied to abuse. There's worries of elitism. But I I think the biggest issue about membership and casting off membership is a lack of understanding of what the church is about. If you don't understand, if you don't understand the primary role of church, you won't understand membership. You'll merely adopt what seems right in our own minds or apply worldly understandings of some institution to the church. So, so for example, if you think that the most important thing about church is fellowship, that the most primary thing to do at church is to connect with like-minded people or maybe ethnic-specific people, you'll evaluate membership as if it's sort of a club or a culture club, a place to network and make friends. Or if you think church is to learn about the Bible and how to live the Christian life, you'll treat membership as if you're a student in school. If the most important thing of church is to be entertained, you'll evaluate membership from the standpoint of how funny the pastor was or if the music touched you as if you'd gone to an orchestra or a play or a movie. If church is a service organization that's formed to meet other people's physical needs, you'll understand church membership by how many opportunities there are to provide physical, physical care and financial support. If you think church is a store from which you purchase things, then you'll see membership from the standpoint of a consumer. You'll shop around to purchase things that suit your taste and have your needs met. If you think church is to gain healing from the wounds of the world, do you get the idea? There's a bajillion of these things. If you think church is a place to gain healing from the wounds of the world, a sort of a hospital, then you see membership in the eyes of a patient and evaluate church on how soothed or comforted you feel. Many, many people have lots of these things about church in their heads and it shapes their view of membership. Many people think church is a place to gain favor with God. So they endure church to gain spiritual points. Others want to keep their kids out of trouble, so church is a moral playground. Still others want to find a future husband or wife. Some see it as a business and want business models to be applied to the practices of the leadership. Best practices applied to rolling out programs and the focus is on growth. Members are shareholders. The list is endless. You get my point. They all affect how we see Membership. So you should think about how you think about church. And then take a hard look at how you evaluate membership. Now understand, there may be elements of all those things in in membership, in true church. We, We want you to be comforted from the wounds of the world. We want you to be instructed in the ways of God. We want you to find fellowship. Listen, I'm I'm a big matchmaker. Anyone who knows me knows that I I want people to come, become members, fall in love with each other and get married. that's, That's big to me. But what I'm saying is, if you see that as primary, 
If you see those things as the purpose of church, you will mistake both what church is and what a member is. Because church is not primarily a store or a theater or a business, but a covenanted fellowship of believers who gather together to live out the great commission to the glory of God. Our community displays God's glory on earth. So so we need to ask some questions. What is the best image of church, firstly? And secondly, what are the specific biblical commands for members of a church to practice in community? So number one, what, what are, what's a good image for us to get in our head about church? There's, there's lots of them, many biblical images of church. The body of Christ, for example. It talks about many members make up one body. Uh, another is the bride of Christ. But the best image for church, and one that I think is related to both of those, is, is the image for our purposes in understanding membership, is that of a family. The family of God. In the book of Mark, chapter 3, we see Jesus interacting with his earthly family. And it's not a pretty picture. The earthly family of Jesus thinks he's lost his mind. After all, he's saying these crazy things about being God. So they go to seize him where he's speaking and to bring him back home. Let me read the, the short passage for you in the book of Mark. Mark three thirty-one through 35. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, at first blush, this is, this is kind of a, a wild statement. What does he mean? Well, he's saying that the family of Jesus are those who do the will of God and that they are more central to Jesus than blood family. Those of you who come from Asian or African or Arab backgrounds, particularly can picture how radical and earth-shaking this is, that he leaves his mother and his brothers outside and claims kinship with these people on the inside. That's why today we call each other who are believers, brothers and sisters. Jesus here is laying the groundwork for messianic family. You know, it's, it's a joy to see families formed, isn't it? I I hope everyone shows up for Etienne and Kate's wedding. It'll be a joyful time. A a number of you saw a new family formed when Nissen and Joanna got married just two weeks ago. Uh, I had the honor and privilege of being the minister at that wedding. You know, I got to stand under that that kind of arch of flowers, you know, kind of back there. It's all very ethereal and surreal and beautiful. And uh, Nissen was astoundingly non-nervous. I think he may have been the most non-nervous groom I've ever, ever seen in my life. Joanna did okay. (laughs) I was nervous too. You you, you know why? Because if I get something wrong, it will be remembered forever, you know? So, uh, in fact, I I just, I I think back to a friend of mine who was performing a wedding and he was supposed to say, you know, he was telling the groom what to say and he said, 
with this wing, I thee read. You know, I mean, he actually said that. It came out. Of course, that's all anyone ever remembers about Brett's wedding. You know, it's kind of, or a, a worse, an acquaintance of mine was performing a wedding and um, he got the name of the groom wrong and it was actually, he said the name of the ex-boyfriend. So, uh, whoa. See? See how scary that is? Jo- jo- Joanna was terrified that I was going to set, present them as Mr. and Mrs. Nissen and Joanna Sampson. Matthew, 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 Matthew. I didn't do that. But, you know, you make a mistake. I make, I make a mistake in front of you guys. You forgive me. No one's videotaping it. It's okay. You know, I can explain. But at a wedding... You know, they pull out the videotape for years to come and show little Matthews, you know, who show up. The joy and funniness of the preacher's mistake, right? I mean, it's kind of... But, you know, that's not why we're being so serious, so gussied up about, about the wedding. No, it's, it's not just the videotape or the laughter of the little Matthews that, by God's grace, may come along. We, we, take the, we take the wedding seriously because they're making a covenant to form a family. Now, a covenant is different than a contract, you know. We say, in the marriage covenant, I'm going to fulfill my part even if you blow it with yours. Right? In fact, I know I'm probably going to blow it with mine. And I'm trusting the covenant part with you, to me. I know I'm not, I'm not going to get it right. It's too big. It's too big of a promise. It's not like a contract. You know, a contract is if, if you don't live up to your side... You know, halas, right? Halas. It's over. Not so, not so in marriage. Not in the covenant. Now keep, the, keep this image of family in your mind. Think of the parallels with church. Because church is something we form too. We form it in the same way a family is formed. We covenant together. Churches are people who come together and for messianic family under a covenant. We acknowledge we're not perfect. We acknowledge that the church is made up of failed and flawed people. As Greg Gilbert says in his excellent book, What is the Mission of the Church? The church is this ragtag bunch of argumentative, self-centered, struggling for holiness, but gloriously forgiven sinners. That's us. That's the church. A couple, couple weeks ago, I, I spoke at NYU Abu Dhabi, the Christian club, the official Christian club on the campus at NYU Abu Dhabi, asked me to come and answer the question, are Christians hypocrites? And of course, I started off with, with the statement that this is going to be a very short uh, program because the answer is, yes, <laughs> of course we are, of course we blow it, of course we're sinners. That's who God's called us to. We're not perfect. But the fact of the matter is, everyone's hypocrites, right? (laughs) So who hasn't lived up to the standards they've set for themselves at one time or another? Who hasn't blown it? In the church we find forgiveness, I said to them. So I said, as John Fulmer has said so often, Don't stay away from the church because of all the hypocrites who are there. There's always room for one more. (laughs) 
the image of church as family, like all, all images have limits, but it helps us form a more healthy understanding of membership. It's not a closed family. We want more to join us, so we proclaim Jesus. Just like in families, we have newborns. Many of you have come to faith here because you've heard the word preached at Redeemer. So we have baby Christians. The mandate of the church, the mandate of the mission of the church is to make disciples who obey all that Jesus has commanded to the glory of the Father. So we teach and instruct as in families and grow just like those of us who have been blessed with kids in their families. We help our younger ones to grow. We want to take membership seriously because we want to take what it means to be the family of God seriously. Okay, so if family is the image of church, the, the one that helps us most form what membership is like, now we need to ask, what then is a member of this church family supposed to do? What are the specific commands for fellowship? Well, here at Redeemer, we've taken specific commands for fellowship from the Scripture. We put them into a covenant. These are not all the scriptural commands for fellowship, but I think it pretty much gets at most all the meanings of all the commands for fellowship. Using Scripture guards us from having worldly institutional understandings about church. We want to put to death the superficial and silly understandings of worldly fellowship and replace it with covenant thinking. So pull out, pull out the church covenant. Uh, does everyone have this? It's in the bulletin, but I think you have a, a page also with the scripture on it. Pull it out. I just want to pick out some of these things from the, from the church covenant. Now, we don't have time to go over all of them, and some of them are being covered by a complete sermon. So n- next week... Garrett is, is going to go over kind of the exercise of church discipline. Um, Dave has already talked about um, the practice of preaching of God's Word. But look, look at this first sentence. Notice right from the start, in the first sentence, that members are true believers. True believers who resolve by faith to covenant together in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Redeemer covenant starts, having been brought by God's grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we now, in dependence on His Spirit, resolve to live by faith and so establish this covenant with each other. That's a huge promise. But right from the start, we see the most important thing about what it means to be church, and that is that we're believers. We're gathered together as true, born-again believers. Actually, I would, I would say that the most important part of church membership is that you be a believer. That you've come to faith in Christ as the one who alone saves you from your sin. You've not worked your way to God. You've not done anything special by inheritance or bank account. He has called to you. You've responded to His voice. Like a lover responds to the beloved, right? You heard it. 
He called to you and He called you out. He's the one who gave you faith to cry out, Oh God, help me, a sinner. I need your forgiveness. And He forgave you through His work on the cross where He paid the penalty for the sins of the world. And we see it's through simple faith that we step into a love relationship with the living God, knowing that we're forgiven by His work, by His grace, by His mercy. You'll notice this first sentence is Trinitarian. God's grace. The Lord Jesus, through the power of His Spirit. Look at section 1. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So Paul says... I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, it's interesting that he says, work at unity. (laughs) Work at peace. It takes work. After 40 years of church involvement, let me tell you, it's not always been peaceful. We work at peace. We work at living out the Scriptures. It's not just a romantic, squishy idea about love. It's a robust love. It's willing to look stupid for you, or maybe awkward for you, or foolish for your good. We want to be able to say truth, biblical truth, in the face of hostility and a culture that opposes us, even even if it means admonishing or rebuking. We don't do it because we're prudes. We We want to establish holiness Because it honors God. It gives Him glory. I love this passage of Scripture. And take this home with you and read them. But the passage of Scripture in the second section, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Luke 17, 3. This is Jesus speaking. And when He says pay attention to yourself, He doesn't mean pay attention to you as an individual. He means as the community. Because if a brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. The idea that we live together. Look at section 3. We will gather together regularly. We will pray for each other. You know, one of the most fundamental things about church membership is not that hard. It's just to show up. (laughs) So we read the scripture that we gather together. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful. passage from Hebrews, and let us consider how to stir up one another in love to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, this is one of the few places where Paul actually encourages competition. He says, be competitive in stirring up one another to love and good works. It's a great thing to be competitive about. Look at section 4. We promise to bring up our children and youth in the training and instruction of the Lord and be pure, loving examples to seek the salvation of family and friends. We want you to share your faith. We want, we want you to teach other kids about Jesus. Hey, we, we need some young guys to go work with four-year-olds. We've we got lots of women working with the youth, but we need some guys to do that. Some of you members, maybe university age, you've got to sign up. Tell these, tell these little ones about Jesus. They're small, little evangelistic moments. They're, they're wonderful. You'll learn a lot, too. My, my son, Tristan, does the uh, four-year-olds at UCCD, at our partner church. 
And uh, he always, he, he learns more, I think, than the kids do. So it's amazing what he comes back. Well, uh, about a year ago, Easter time, around in there, you know, he asked, he asked the little four-year-olds, they're all gathered around. He says he has a three-minute window when they're good, you know. <laughs> okay, guys, what's Easter all about? And, you know, they rose up. The Easter Bunny! Chocolate! Except for little Luke Verops, son of one of the pastors. No! He put out his arms. He's going to be a little preacher one day, right? No! It went on a long time. No! Easter is not about the Easter Bunny or chocolate. It's about Jesus. One little girl's picking her fingers. I like chocolate. (laughs) Right then, little Luke Verrup realizes he likes chocolate too. (laughs) He's back on his heels. He thinks about it. Well, he says, then reaching to that bedrock authority in his life, my mother said, Easter's about Jesus. And, of course, that was the trump card, right? Yeah, they all agreed. His mother said it. It must be true, right? I mean. Tristan commented on how we're not that different than little four-year-olds, right? We just hide it better. We're the same about temptations that hit us. They look the same from God. They're about on the same level, right? We're not that different. We just think we're more sophisticated. Listen, you'll learn stuff. Teach the gospel to the kids. Grow yourself. Fifth, be involved with one another's lives. Weep and laugh. Weddings and hospitals. It's not just church staff called to that. We as members covenant together to be involved in people's lives. That's the whole point of this passage from Romans. In chapter 6, we seek holiness in our own lives. We fight for holiness. We fight for purity. We long to be aligned in our lives with the gospel of Christ. To live out the very first passage that we talked about when Paul says, as someone, as a prisoner in Christ, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. He's saying we've received this magnificent, enormous gift in the gospel. And Paul is, by the way, in jail, modeling the very thing he's asking us to do. In jail for his faith, he calls, urges others to walk, to walk in holiness, to walk in alignment with the gospel. Seven, we defend and maintain the preaching of the word, sacraments and church discipline. Now, next week we'll have an entire sermon on on church discipline uh, from Garrett, who's a friend of ours, and it, it will be excellent to hear about that. Dave's given a sermon on preaching. Just one comment about baptism, sacraments. You know, we believe that baptism is one of the most important secondary doctrines in the church. Okay, you have primary doctrines which are about life and death. Jesus rose from the again, uh, again from the grave. Um, he died on the cross for our sin. The Word of God is, is uh, authoritative in our life for faith and practice. Th- those, those are things we're willing to die for and we stake our lives on. Because we're saying one day we're going to meet Jesus based on those things. There are secondary doctrines that are issues of lordship. And we think baptism is one of the most important secondary doctrines. It's constantly tied with the preaching of the gospel. So we call for believers who have put their faith and trust in Christ to be baptized. 
We, we don't believe that you should baptize non-Christians. We believe the order is important. That's, that's what we believe. Section 8, we give cheerfully and generously to the church for the poor and the spread of the gospel in all nations. I, I know many of you who have come from different and other church backgrounds come from places where tithing is enforced, where giving money is something you are required to do. We, we do not require you to do anything more than the New Testament says. Tithing is not a New Testament word. It's barely an Old Testament word. We would require that you give generously. We would ask that you give cheerfully, out of a cheerful heart, out of a desire. We're not counting the money you give to us. We, we're, not, we're, we're not looking at you about that. We believe that giving is actually more important for you and your heart than it is for us and our church. We think that giving, every time you write that check, you're signing a declaration of independence from the love of money. That's why it's good to give. Give. Give generously. Give cheerfully. Not only for the support of this church, but for the poor and the spread of the gospel to all nations. Now listen, this is a two-page document. It's chock full of powerful stuff. But I'd like to take a stab at summarizing the covenant in one sentence. You think I can do that? You You don't look like you believe me. I'm going to try. Just take a stab at summarizing the covenant in one sentence. Members are believers who covenant together to work and pray for peace and love in our fellowship. Who gather together regularly, share the gospel with our kids and others, are involved with each other's lives, seek personal holiness, defend and support the right preaching of the word, the practice of the sacraments, and the correction of wayward believers, and give to the work of the church. Not that hard. No lawyers required. We won't even make you get married to us. You know what I mean. Although some of you need to stop dating the church. (laughs) And go ahead and take that step of covenant in covenant community. Now listen, the applications are huge for us. If we take membership seriously, there are three places of application that I'd like to talk about. Number one, if you are a committed follower of Jesus, that is, you've understood how the gospel of Jesus applies to your life, that it is grace alone that has called you, that it is through faith that you've been saved, that you have repented of sin, and turned in faith to Christ, and you have been baptized, and you are not a member of a church, we want you to be a member. And I don't mean a member of Redeemer, particularly. You just need to commit to a local body of believers. Don't don't flip from church to church. Stop dating the church. Get married. We have a membership class that we'll meet right after this service, and all are welcome. Secondly, if you do not know Christ, if you've you've come in with a friend, or maybe your first time here, and you've you've not really put this together about the gospel, or maybe you're hearing it for the very first time, we want to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. Knowing Jesus is far, far, far more important than membership. 
You have to know him to be a member anyhow. So be sure to talk to us. Go to the welcome table. They've got a packet there that, that we are giving out uh, filled with books and other things. We want to talk to you about what it means to follow Christ, to put your complete faith and trust in Christ through repentance and belief. Or talk to the one that came with you. Or me, or the elders. We're, we're, happy to, we're happy to talk. Our emails are in the bulletin. Write us if you have questions. Thirdly, for those of you who are members, it's good to go over this covenant. Take it home with you. Reaffirm the things you've promised to do. Ask yourself, where are the places you could be a stronger member? Ask God to help align your hearts with His as you seek to become God-glorifying members of Redeemer Church. Remember, Jesus calls the church His bride. It's His family. It's important to Him. He loves the church. And you can love her in this way, too. Let's pray.